Well, welcome. We got a whole bunch of people um, online and over in our student center. I just wanted to take just a moment and, and, and welcome some people. We've got some people online. Um, Dot, Eric, Doreen, William, Dan, and, and Ruth Allard, Nancy, and the, the Silva family are online. And then over in our student center, we've got Ed and Kelly Beecher, Mike and Norma, um, Norma Jean Gurgley, the Willettes, Dave and Marlene Tidwell. Love you guys. Um, so it's just, it's cool how God is just kind of, um, we're one church meeting in many different locations and some of you that are um, watching online and in your own homes. So just, just glad that you're here. My name is Pastor Justin. I'm the senior pastor here at New Life. And we have been in a sermon series going through the, the book of First Peter. And I think we're like, I don't know, it's like week seven. We've been going through just kind of portion by portion through this together. And um, he's writing to these people that are I don't even want to say that, that we can relate to because I don't think that, I think that what we're experiencing is much more like first world problems than what they were experiencing. But these were people that were dispersed. They were not living in their homes. They were being persecuted and, um, and they were going through hardships. And he just, if you know Peter and if you've read through the Bible, Peter is just kind of like a no holds barred, in your face, gritty type of guy. Um, he'll just go right at it and speak his mind. And um, we kind of see that little bit of just like um, no fear of man in, in his letter. And so he's talked to us about our identity of who you are in Christ. He talks to you about that you should be weird. You should be different. You should not be like the culture around you. Um, and then he says, you know, this is how you should deal with unjust human authority. You've got unjust human authority that you're under. Well, this is how you should work with it. And then he talks about this is how you should um, handle being married to an imperfect person. A few of you are married to imperfect people. Um, and then today he's going to talk about time, the issue of time. And um, more, more than just the issue of time, what we should be doing with the time that we have left. It's kind of a sobering and I hope encouraging message that, uh, that Peter is dropping on us in 1 Peter chapter 4. Most of us grow up, at least I did, I think I can, most of you can relate, thinking that, that money is the, most, is the greatest asset that we can attain. Like we, we work to, to earn money. We need more money. We count our money. We track our money. We, we don't know if we have enough money. Um, we, we never feel like, like there is a, a, enough money going around and we're worried about losing it. But the older you get and the more... Um, the more time you have on this earth, you realize that time is really our greatest asset. Um, we, need, we need it. Um, we, we can't spend time and then go earn it back again. You, you, you can't get it back. You can't buy it. You can't rent it. You can't borrow it from somebody else. <laughs> uh, it'd be nice if you could. Um, and here's the thing about, about time. Every single one of us has doled out the exact same amount of it every day. 24 hours. Every day. It's the one thing that's kind of fair in this world today, right? It doesn't matter your socioeconomic background, your race, your ethnicity. Everybody gets the same amount of time, 24 hours every day that we get to spend however we choose to spend it. And um, when you're young, when you have kids, if you've got kids, you understand this, time seems to drag. You feel like you have so much time. Like, Christmas never seems to come. It could be a week before Christmas, and for kids, it seems like an eternity, right? And then you get older, and you realize um, time speeds up. 
and Christmas seems to come around every week, right? You're like, it is Christmas again? Like, okay, uh, all right, we're, we're, we're back at it again. And, 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 and the older you get, the, the, the faster time seems to fly, right? We say this, time flies, you know? Years pass like months and months pass like weeks, weeks pass like days. And it's like, where, where is my time? And you never feel like you have enough of it. And then you get to an age. Um, I just, I turned, I'm 41. I'm going to be 42 here in January. And um, you get to this age and we call it, we call it middle-aged. <laughs> and, and it's middle-aged for a reason. It's because you get to an age and some of us are beyond where I am. And you get to the place where you realize that the time before me is less than the time behind me. The sobering thought, but it's a reality that like all of us live within that we are living with limited time. And sometimes we think, oh, I've got all the time in the world. Um, I lost my, my mother-in-law when she was 49 years old. She didn't think that, that was going to be her time. But the reality is, is no matter how much time we have left, we're all living with limited time in front of us. And Essentially, I want to I want you to be considering this question. I think that this is kind of the heartbeat behind what Peter's going to be sharing with you today, and it's this: like, how would you live if you knew that your time was limited? How would you live? Because the reality is, it is limited. How would you live if if you knew that your time was limited? The message, the title of my message today is uh, "Living with the End in Mind." And uh, Peter's going to be giving us some things to consider. There's like kind of a whole bullet list of things. And uh, if you're taking notes or um, you can go to nlc.today and there's kind of fill in the blank notes and things like that. Um, Kind of these bullet point lists of things that Peter's like, if you want to live with the end in mind, if you want to make your time count and not just count time, then consider these things. So if you're with us right now, you're in our student center, maybe you're at home, I would love if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We're going to start in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, and read down through, through verse 11. We left off last week. Um, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, he starts out and he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery and and lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. You spent enough time doing that. He says, they, they, they are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body. But live according to God in regard to the spirit. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. 
If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you that, um, that Peter's word to these, this church um, a couple thousand years ago is, um, is still applicable to us today in the day that we're living in. I pray that this sobering thought and, and reminder that we are living with limited time would cause us to take action and live each day like it's our last. And so Jesus... Um, Grow us. May this not just be a nice word, a good reminder, but something that we would take away and apply. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you. In his uh, battle with cancer, Steve Jobs, who is the um, co-founder of, of Apple, you may have heard of this small business, um, wrote this. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. I, I, I'm not saying that Steve Jobs was a Christian, that he, he knew Jesus Christ, and, but I'm just saying this is a sobering quote that kind of brings out a reality that every single one of us face and that we all have limited time. The question is, how are you spending it? What are you doing with the rest of the time that you have? Essentially asking us this question, like how, how do you make time count not just count time. And he gives us a bunch of things. And the, the first one he hits on in verse 1, essentially he's telling us, arm yourself against sin. That's his first thing. It's kind of an odd way to start this thing out. Hey, you guys have limited time. Do the best you can with what you have. And the first thing you should do is arm yourself against sin. He almost gives like this picture of like a, uh, a soldier getting ready and armed for battle. He's like, arm yourself against sin. He says in verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourself also with what? With the same attitude. Because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. He's like, don't even give sin a foothold in your life. Don't even give it a foothold. We said last week, it's what Peter was talking about. Don't just try to avoid sin. Go out of your way to avoid sin. Many people try to avoid sin and be like, yeah, just, you know, I don't seek it out, but if it comes, it hits me, then, I, you know. But he's like, go out of your way to avoid sin. Why? Because life is way too short and eternity is way too long for you to allow sin to distract you from what God has called you to. It's way too short and eternity is way too long to allow yourself to get distracted by anything from what God has called you to. The Apostle Paul talks about this too in, in kind of one of the famous passages about like the armor of God and many Christians, you know, you, you know this and you know all the armor and the shield and, the, and, and you've got the breastplate of righteousness and you have all these things. He says this in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. 
And then Paul goes into like, you know, put on the, the, the belt of truth. And, and we, get all, we get all excited about that. You know, sometimes as Christians, we're like, yeah, you know, so we get focused on you got to put the belt on. You got to put the breastplate on. You got to put the shoes on, fitted. You know, you got to put on, you know, the shield and the helmet and the sword of the spirit and do all of these things. But I want you to see what Paul is really talking about. He's not saying arm yourself with a belt. Make sure you wear a helmet. He literally says, arm yourself with truth. The belt of what? Of truth. Arm yourself with truth. Arm yourself with righteousness. Arm yourself with readiness. Arm yourself with faith that extinguishes fear. Arm yourself with confidence in your salvation. Arm yourself, last and certainly not least, arm yourself with the word of God. I think sometimes we don't realize, I mean, essentially what Peter and Paul are, are communicating to both of us in different ways is that, like, arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. Peter said just a couple chapters ago, gird up the loins of your mind. He's like, get your head in the game. Get your head in the game. Be alert. Be ready. It's interesting. He says, he says arm yourself with the attitude of Christ. Did you know that your attitude is a weapon? Isn't that interesting? Your attitude is a weapon. Now, you know that a bad attitude is a weapon. We've all been on the inflicting end or the receiving end of somebody's bad attitude, right? We, we know exactly what that means to, to have somebody's bad attitude just leak onto us and say things and do things that, wow, that was, somebody's got quite, quite the bad attitude. But what, essentially what God's saying is here, God wants to arm your attitude with his power. So your attitude is a weapon. Are you using it for good? Are you using it for evil? He's like, your attitude is a weapon. The question is, how are you wielding it? How are you wielding it? Which is why it is so important, and we've been talking about this pretty much throughout this whole letter from Peter, it is so important for you to guard your heart. Why? Because the Word of God says that everything of life flows from it. Guard your attitude. Make sure that you're not getting up willy-nilly with your bad attitude leaking onto everybody. He says, make sure that you're wielding the weapon of your attitude when it's submitted to the mind of Christ. It is a weapon. So guard your heart. Because an attitude like Christ that, that he's talking about here will equip you and arm you to stand up against the devil's schemes because the devil's trying to take you out. But a bad attitude will leave you uncovered. A bad attitude leaves you vulnerable. In fact, get this, a bad attitude will actually sometimes even cause you to, to come into agreement with the accuser of the brethren. What do I mean by that? Have you ever had a bad attitude and just start speaking curses over people? Who are you coming to agreement with? Is that the Spirit of God? No. You're actually coming into agreement with our enemy, the accuser of the brethren. So when you choose to gossip or speak badly about people or to attribute motive to people or to assign things to people or to speak poorly of them, I'm just telling you, you can use your bad attitude as a weapon to either wield it to come into agreement with the accuser of the brethren or you can come under the authority of the mind of Christ and wield it to take the devil out and to choose to walk in unity even when the temptation is there to not. 
And so when we come into times of difficult suffering, whether you're like these people that he's writing to in 1 Peter or you're people like us, kind of in this weird day that we live in, when we walk through suffering, when we walk through hardship, one of two things comes out of us, either the best of God or the worst of us. You get bad news, you get a diagnosis, you get this thing, what, what, what's going to happen here? What, what, you know, I, we walk through hardship, either the best of God comes out of us because we have a submitted heart, a submitted mind of Christ to our attitude, or the worst of us comes out. Your bad attitude gets wielded and starts cutting heads off. Those two things happen. He continues in verse 2. He says, as a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you've spent enough time, you've spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, detestable idolatry. And you're like, I spent enough time doing that? I, didn't even, I don't even know what some of those mean, right? Orgies, drunk, debauch, what is it, carousing? I, do, I, do I carouse? Is there a lot of carousing happening? Like, you know, like you've spent enough time doing this. He's like, even if you haven't done these things, he's like, you've spent enough time thinking about them. You've spent enough time dreaming about these things. He's like, you've spent enough of those things. In other words, if you want to make your time count rather than just count time, start investing your time rather than spending it or wasting it. Start investing your time rather than just spending it or wasting it. Because you got 24 hours just like anybody else gets 24 hours. So you get to decide what you get to do with the rest of what you have. He says, what are you going to do with the time that you've been given? And essentially reminds us, take your time to invest the rest of your time rather than spending it or wasting it. And he reminds us, he's like, you've done enough. You've spent enough of your time living for yourself. So choose to live and to invest it in the will of God over your life. And so it's quite a reminder for those of us that are living on limited time. Like, what are you doing with the time that God has given you? What are you doing in the day that God has given you? He continues in verse 4. He talks about like... Uh, it's interesting. He talks about how your friends, your unsaved friends and family, um, look at how you spend your time. Like, it's, it's interesting. He says in verse 4, and some of you guys have friends like these. He says, they're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. I don't know if you've ever had friends like that. Like, they're actually, they were happier when you were drunk rather than sober. You ever have a friend like that? Like, maybe they're even concerned about you. They're like, look, we've been talking, and, uh, you know, I, I just, we're, we're concerned about this new relationship with God that you have. You know, you haven't been to Bentley's with us in a week, and uh, I'm, I'm very concerned about you right now, right? Isn't it interesting that sometimes you can have friends that will actually be suspect and more concerned about your relationship with God than the addiction that you were in? Nobody's ever had friends like these? And you're just like, uh, we're, we're, it's, a, we're, 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 it's an intervention, and, and your sobriety concerns me. Concerns me. It's interesting. He says that sometimes they will actually heap abuse on you. Because misery loves company. And there are times and seasons like 
When, when you don't participate in the sin around you, it can convict others of the sin that they're operating in. And you don't necessarily even have to be like judgy or judgy or judging them. Like you can just decide, I'm not doing that anymore in my life. I'm investing my time. I'm not going to be spending it or wasting it in that way. And people will get offended because of your choice. It's interesting that, that kind of that, how, how that plays out in the life of us. And Peter reminds us, and he essentially is like, look, that's going to happen, or at least it should happen. You should be living in such a way that your friends think you're weird. Why are you not doing the things you used to do? He says, don't be worried about that. He says, in the end, you will have to give an account for your own life, and so will they. He says this in verse 5, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Peter's reminding us, like, hey, if you want to live with the end in mind, fear God, not man. Fear God, not man. Who are you trying to please here? He's like, you do good to fear God, not man. And then he goes on in verse 7, he says, it's almost kind of this, like, you know, sandwich board guy. He says, the end of all things is near. The end of all things is near. In other words, he's like, time is short. No matter how you cut this thing, whether Jesus comes back or, or we go and die and meet him, time is short. And then he gives us something else. He says, therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. In other words, he's like, hey, you guys want to live with the end in mind? You want to make sure that your time counts rather than just counting time? Be alert and of sober mind. It's kind of weird because we don't, like, we use the word alert, you know, be alert, look alert, look alive, but we don't use the word sober-minded really much. I don't know. I haven't used it often. Like, make sure you're sober-minded. Not just like, hey, I'm so glad that you've been sober for a year, whatever. I'm just saying, like, we don't use the word sober-minded. So I started looking it up. I was like, okay, what, what, what does this word even, even mean? What, what, what's the, the definition behind it? And and it's interesting because the Apostle Paul uses that word sober mind ten times in his letters to the early church. Sober-minded. You can read in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 2, that word sober-minded is actually a a prerequisite for a member of the church and leadership in the church. It's a pretty big deal. It's a word that we don't really use very often, but he's like, this, this is such an important word that it's actually a prerequisite for you to be a member or a leader in the early church. He says, be sober-minded. It essentially means this, to be of one's right mind. And you're like, does that mean like to not be crazy? Because that's kind of how we think of it. Like, oh, you're not in your right mind, right? You're, you're, you're crazy. Not necessarily. And it doesn't mean you, the opposite of it would be drunk-minded, right? Here, here, here's... If I were to, like, show you what it looks like in the opposite, um, somebody who is not sober-minded would be frenzied and manic. It gives us this picture of, like, somebody who's, like, running amok and, like, anxiety-ridden and fearful and manic and unfocused, unwilling or unable to kind of, like, focus in on something. When you're not sober-minded, you're just kind of like you're running around. And so when you are sober-minded, it's when you get proper perspective. When you see God in proper proportion to who he is and the situation that you're currently living in. And so when you're not so, when you're, when you're frantic and you're running around, you all of a sudden start seeing everything that is in front of your face as so 
huge. It's, it's bigger than God. It's, it's bigger than what I can handle and I'm overwhelmed by it and I'm frantic and running around. And he says, instead, be sober-minded. In other words, be in your right mind. How do you get that? Through your connection to God. And essentially, he's like, be connected to God. Don't look so constipated. I look at a lot of Christians these days, and they look constipated. It's like there's a whole lot of striving, a whole lot of trying, a whole lot of bearing down, trying to produce something for the Lord, right? I mean, like, there's a whole lot of, of work and hardship, and I don't see a lot of joy. It's just kind of like, well, I'm just trying to push through. I'm just pushing through. I'm just pushing through, right? I mean, just like, there's, there's, but there's not a lot of feeling of this, like, I'm in connected to God. And essentially, when he talks about being sober-minded, he's like, when God gets his proper place, then everything else falls into its proper place. And when you're not sober-minded, then everything seems like it's bigger. It's the most big thing in front of your face, and it's bigger than God. And your job is not to be frenzied. Your job is not to be manic or overwhelmed. It is to listen and obey. Listen and obey. He says this. Notice Peter says, be of sober mind so that you may pray. Having a sober mind allows you to pray. And then think about this. Praying gives you a sober mind. There's like this continual thing that happens in the life of a believer if we're operating in, in, the, in the right heart is that we realize that we have to have a sober mind in order to pray. In other words, I've got to be able to be thinking clearly to be able to give this over to the Lord and it will give me proper perspective of, of my problems. It gives you a sober mind, right? And then essentially when we pray, it gives us a sober mind and when we have a sober mind, it allows us to pray. When we don't have a sober mind, we just kind of get all jacked up. We got a whole list of things and it's anxiety ridden and, and, and worrisome. And, and it's kind of like this question of like, okay, how do I know if it's actually working? How do I know if I am actually giving something over to the Lord in prayer? How do I know if, if, I'm, if, if it's actually causing me to be sober minded? I was listening to these, these two pastors talk in this podcast a couple weeks ago and they were, they were, they were chatting. One of them was, was a pastor. The other one was a mentor. And the mentor asked one of the, asked the pastor, uh, you know, how's your prayer life? And he kind of answered like most of us would, like, I don't know, good, I think. Okay. And the mentor said, well, like, how do you feel after you're done praying? Um, and he kind of struggled a little bit. He was like, I, I don't, I mean, good. I, I, I mean, I still have a, some burdens, some concerns and worries and stuff like that. And He's like, well, do you feel like that's, that's lifted? He says, well, not necessarily. And the mentor said, well, could it be that you're not praying, but that you're just complaining to God? And I was like, wait a minute. Is that a thing? Could it be that I, um, in my attempt to check things off of a list and do what I should be doing, that I'm actually not praying, but that I'm just complaining? God. And how would I know the difference? How would I know? 
And it's this old thing. The old timers used to say this. <clears throat> so if you're an old timer, you'll remember this. We used to call it praying through. You guys remember that? When do you, when do you pray? When do you stop praying? You pray till you pray through. I was, I, I, listen, I got, I got saved. I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, we just keep praying till we pray it through. I was like, is that when I fall asleep? Or what, what, when, when, does, when is through happening? Well, you'll know. When will I know? And essentially, what, what I think they were trying to communicate, what I've experienced experientially in my own prayer life, is that you pray until you prayed through. In other words, there is a transfer of the burden. Do you realize that there is a transaction that is supposed to happen in prayer? Do you realize that prayer is not solely meant for you to have a conversation between you and the big man? There's actually a transaction that's supposed to happen where there is a transfer of the burden. So when we go to God in prayer, we take our anxiety, we take our worry, we take the fact that we have this heavy burden on our shoulders, and, and, and there's a transfer of that burden over to God. And so when you prayed it through, it's when you realized, I don't have to carry this all on my own. I have, I, and I, I'm wearing it right now, and I'm carrying this sucker, and until I prayed it through and said, okay, I realize I am not alone in this anymore, that I have a, I, I'm evenly yoked with God, and he's pulling this thing with me, and that I don't have to just have to maintain all of this in my own anxiety and worry to keep this thing going. He's like, this supposed to be a transfer of burden. Jesus um, kind of alludes to this in Matthew chapter 11. He says this, verse 28, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You see that? He's like, you bring your weariness, you bring your burdens, you bring all of these things, and I'll, I'll take that, and I'll give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will, catch this, find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Can I remind you, church, your role is not to look constipated. Your role is to be connected to the one who can carry your burden with you. You are not meant to do this thing on your own, pull this thing on your own, keep it alive through your own worry and anxiety. You're actually meant for a transfer of burden, a transaction that happens only through prayer, where God reminds you, you're not in this all by yourself. And you need me. So let me help you carry it, and I'll give you rest for your souls. So pray through. Pray it through. Pray it through. Give him your weariness. Give him your heavy burden, and he gives you rest. And it doesn't mean that everything goes away. Let me, let me remind you of that. It doesn't mean that, oh, I just, I prayed it through, and then unicorns and rainbows. I prayed it through, and all my troubles went away. I prayed it through, and my spouse is all of a sudden so much better. Right? I, it means that you pray it through and realize that it isn't just you. God has this too. You will rise. You will rise. Be connected. Verse 8, he continues. I love it. He says, above all, in other words, like sum this whole thing up above anything else. Love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, he's like, hey guys, you want to be able to make your life count, make your time count, not just count time. He says, above all, love each other deeply. 
Reminds me of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 in the New King James Version. He says this, so true. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all sins. Hatred enjoys exposing somebody else's sin. I know none of you hate people in here, but you've got some people that you're kind of annoyed with. All right, let's just let you say that. And, and the, the reality is, it's like when something comes out or a sin is exposed in that person's life, the, when you have hatred for somebody, you're kind of a little bit glad. Like, well, at least they had what's coming to them. I mean, I don't wish harm on them, but well, you sow evil, you get evil back, right? But he says love's different. Love is different than that. Love covers someone and believes the best about them. Let me remind you what love is. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says this, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, Always perseveres. Love never fails. Hatred tries to dig up somebody's dirt and kind of enjoys doing it. Love works to mine the gold out of someone. Now, that doesn't mean that you just cover up for somebody. When we say love covers a multitude of sins, it's not like you just like, oh, just Let's just push that out of the carpet. We don't have to worry about that. You're fine. Everything's fine. It doesn't mean that you just cover for bad behavior. It doesn't mean that you just cover up their sin and say, oh, like, don't worry. I won't tell if you don't, right? It's all good. That's not at all what he's saying here. He said love covers up their sin. He's, let, me, let, me, let me explain this. Sometimes love actually means that you need to go to that person in love before sin embarrasses them. Say, I love you enough to even confront you because I don't want to see that dirt exposed in your life. It'll break my heart. And he continues in verse 9. Hope you're getting at least a few of these. These are all, I mean, he's just going rapid fire. Like, you want to you live? You want to live like the best of the rest of your time? Start investing it in God, and this is how you can do it. This, verse 9, he says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. I love that he's not just like, hey, be hospitable. He's like, do it and stop complaining about it because he, he knows. He knows how we are. He's like, he's, he's just stop grumbling about it. Offer hospitality without grumbling. But I want you to understand when we talk about hospitality, he's not just talking about inviting people over for dinner or entertaining house guests. It is more than that, but it is certainly not less than that. He says offer hospitality. So the Greek word for hospitality actually means this. Friend of strangers. Isn't that weird? Hospitality. He says, offer hospitality means be a friend of strangers. This is what drew people to Jesus. He was a friend of strangers. People were drawn to Jesus because Jesus was drawn to people. The, the Bible says he was a friend of sinners, right? Like people would always accuse him of being a friend of sinners. He was a friend of strangers. It wasn't just that he was a friend of religious people, churchy people. It, in fact, if you look at the life of Jesus, the people that he was probably most unfriendly to were the religious people, churchy people. You call them names. You brood of vipers. You snakes. Like, 
He didn't didn't care too much for, for religious churchy people, but he always made room for those in need. He's like, guys, 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 look, I came for people who need a doctor, not for people who have it all figured out. So you got it all figured out. Well, good luck with that. But, but, but if you realize that you're in need, I'm here for you. That's who, I'm, that's who I've come for. He was always making room for people in need. And so should we. So should we. So should we. So if you want to make the best of the rest of your time, then he says, like, essentially, be like Jesus. Offer hospitality without grumbling. If, if you're too busy to, to make room for people in need, then let me just say this. You're too busy. If you're too busy to be a friend of strangers, here, here's something you could do. Smile more. Say hi. I don't know if you knew this. Strangers are everywhere. They're even in this room right now. Stranger danger. It says, be a friend of strangers without grumbling. Why? He says, be armed with the same attitude of Christ who came to save souls of people who weren't even following him. He died for you even when you wouldn't even die for him. He says, be armed with that same attitude. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? I want to end with this, this last portion of, of, of this letter that he has in verse, verse 10 and 11. And this is to the church, and I want to encourage you and, and have you realized that it really doesn't matter what we're going through at any given moment. It, the word of God is the word of God, no matter our situation. He says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. You, let me just make this clear. You are blessed to be a blessing. You're blessed. Not just to hoard it. You're blessed to be a blessing as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And then he gives us a couple ways to do it. He says, if anyone speaks... They should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ our Lord. I, I think it's important for us to realize this, that he says, share with others the gifts that God has given you. Each of us have been given a gift. Each of us are walking in a blessing and a gift that we don't deserve that has been given by God. And, and he's like, make sure that you're sharing that to serve others. And he gives you a couple different things. And uh, the first one, it's kind of weird. He says, speak as one who speaks the, the very words of God. Now, I want to make very clear here. I don't think that he's saying you should go around saying, thus saith the Lord. I don't go around to my kids and say, thus saith the Lord, clean your room. Thus saith the Lord, brush your teeth. I don't say, like, he's not saying, like, speak as though you were speaking the very words of God. In other words, just say, thus saith the Lord in front of anything that you like. And, and then it kind of gives you this carte blanche idea that maybe this is the word of the Lord. What it does mean is maybe I should shut up a whole lot more and listen a whole lot. What it does mean is that I think many times we're very quick to offer our opinion. 
and maybe not necessarily waiting and listening on the Lord to what it is that he would have us speak. Out of the abundance of our mouths, sin is created, right? It's this reality that, like, I think many of us, especially in times like this, would be good to meter our words and allow God to speak so that we can give us a word of God in due time and due season to the person that's in front of us. Because I don't know if you know this, but one word from God will change a life. A thousand words from people like me or you. It might help. Let me tell you, when you've got a word, word, word of God to speak into somebody's life in due season, there's nothing like it. You've all had opportunities and times where somebody has spoken a word over your life that has shaped and changed you in, in ways that you, you'd never even realize. Someone once said to me, they're like, um, they were talking about my preaching, and um, they said, you know, Pastor, like, I don't, I don't always agree with everything that you say. <laughs> I smiled and I said, I said, good, because I don't agree with everything that I say. I hope you don't. I hope that you, that you take every word of mine against the word of God and let, let every man be a liar and let God be the truth. I, I don't agree with everything I've said over the years, which is why it's so important for you as a believer in Christ to get the word of God inside of you so that it can come out of you. We talk about like the illiteracy of the word of God. Like I, I just... I think it's so important that you arm yourself with the Word of God. And you have to get it in you so that it can come out of you. Because if you don't have it in you, you know what comes out of you? Your opinion. And your opinion is no better than my opinion. And everyone's got one. <laughs> get the Word of God in you so that it can come out of you. I think that many times um, as we look at this, like if we spend more time aligning ourselves with the word of God than trying to create alliances with like-minded people, then we would find that we would have peace rather than striving. We would be connected to God rather than constipated. <laughs> we get into that. And then he says this, he says, when you serve, do it in the strength God provides. Isn't it interesting that he has to actually tell that to us? When you serve, do it in the strength God provides. In other words, I think that I, even back then, maybe 2,000 years ago, people were serving and not doing it in God's strength. They were doing it in their own strength. Trying to, just trying to get this thing, get this done. He says, do it in the strength that God provides. If your time, invest it rather than just spending it or wasting it. So as we worship here today, I just want you to be asking, maybe you just ask the Lord a couple questions. One, God, what do you want me to be investing my time in? What do you want me to be investing my time in? God, who do you want me to be investing my time into? And God, where do you want me to be investing my time? If we're all on limited time and the reality is that time is short, those are very good questions to be asking the Lord, especially in times like this. Lord Jesus, where do you want me to be investing my time right now? Because when we operate in the, 
power of God, it's not tiring, it's fulfilling. So maybe you're here right now and, and, and you're at this place where you're like, you know what, it is time. I've, I've spent enough time doing the way of the world and I know that uh, I've been dipping my foot in, I've been coming to church, I've been trying to do this thing, but I realize that I am desperately in need of help. And so I know that it's time for me to get serious about my relationship with God. In just a moment, I'm going to pray with you and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in just a second. So Lord, I... I pray right now that you would be drawing each and every single person within the sound of my voice to you. Draw them to your heart, Lord. And no matter where you're at right now, maybe you're in our in, in person, in our student center, or you're, you're at home right now, if that's you and you're just at this place where it's like, you know what? I have very limited time and I need to be about my father's business. Um, maybe that's where you're at. Lord, I, I want to invite you into my life, maybe for the first time. I want you to just slip your hand up between you and God. No matter where you're at right now, just, just say, God, I'm, I'm listening to your voice and I want to walk in obedience to that. I don't know what this looks like, but I do know that I need you in my life. Just raise your hand right now all over this place. Yeah, thank you. I want to pray this prayer and I want you to invite to pray with me. And actually, I want to invite wherever you're at and all of our campuses are at home, you can pray this out loud with me as well. So just maybe say this, no, not, nothing magical, but it's just a profession of your faith. Father God, I choose to turn away from my sin. And I ask for your forgiveness. And I thank you that it's only found in Jesus Christ. And I confess that Jesus is my cornerstone. And I want to build my life on him. Father, I believe that you sent your son, that he died and rose from the dead so that I could have more and better life. And I invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to fill me to empower me to follow after you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Lord Jesus, I thank for every single person that prayed that prayer for the hundredth time or the first time. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to you. Lord, that today wouldn't just be like any other day, but that it would be the beginning of a change on the inside of them. Lord, you change us from the inside out. And so as you've just changed people, Lord, I pray that as they walk out of here today as a changed person, God, that you, you would begin to make mold and break them to be looking more and more like you. Lord, we thank you. And as we worship you today as a church, God, I pray that we would lift your name up above any other name. We would lift your name up above our name. God, may you be glorified in this place. And Jesus, help us to make the best of the rest of our time. We want invested in you, Lord. We thank you. Let's worship today, church.